I'm a big fan of Westerns, as are so many cinephiles and filmmakers. The Western is so synonymous with cinema history, going back to The Great Train Robbery, one of the first real movies by, you know, modern standards of what a movie is. Anyway, the Western is just an opportunity to use the big canvas to have good versus evil, to find the gray areas in between, to talk about the dark side of American mythology and all that stuff. It is a huge part of our culture, but also our cinematic heritage. And in The Harder They Fall, which is on Netflix, we have a whole new entry into this storied and familiar genre. Why? Because it's about the Black experience in the Western. It is an almost all-Black cast, at least the primary characters, about Black characters in the Western, which is in and of itself entirely unique and worthwhile just to explore that experience. We have seen the Western, just like we've seen so many movies, from only one perspective, maybe a slight variation on the one perspective. This is a new perspective. And unlike Westerns that incorporate Black characters, this Western is truly told from the perspective. It doesn't just incorporate them. It's it's about them in its entirety in their experience. So why all the big lead-in? Because this is an important special movie. And we, like so many, we talk about, but this one for these unique reasons. Today, we have cinematographer Mihai Malimer, who shot the movie. He also shot a couple other amazing movies like Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, for example. So this is a genius cinematographer with a great resume. And he talked to me about how they tackled The Harder They Fall, purely from a technical standpoint and a story standpoint, how they shot it, why they shot it the way they did. It's a great listen. I highly recommend the movie. It's really visually interesting and fun. And if you like Westerns, you got to see it. So here we go. First off, I loved The Harder They Fall. I want to talk about the look and shooting it and so much of what inspired it. But looking at your career, you know, there's a variety of stuff. You've shot some incredible movies. What was your sort of, what got you started? How did you, how did you launch your career? What were your first steps sort of into cinematography? It, it happened when I was 15, I think. <laughs> it was fairly easy because, because my father is an actor in Romania. I kind of grew up in Romanian national theater around actors and all that environment. But I remember when I was 15, my, my father had a play because he, he directs as well and he, he acts in his own place. And I remember he had a play, it was, I think, Goggles Overcoat, and he had 180 light changes. And that struck a chord with me. I realized you can do so much with lights, even in a confined space. And the lights are played in the proper spot and they are cued on music and and all that. And that kind of stayed with me for a while. And then I got really interested in, in still photography. And soon after that, I remember telling my father that I want to be a cinematographer. <laughs> so. <laughs> so you combined the- theatrical lighting that you that you witnessed him using. Did yeah. he have like a, did he have like a a style? Did he approach theatrical lighting a certain way that you picked up on? It, it was. I mean, I remember it was the Martin Movers were, were very new back then, for example. And they were basically the robotic lights that we are using them even in movies now. But those were like 
quite amazing. And I, I remember the lighting board being such a neat, like, like a huge uh, device yeah. with, with all the manual faders and programs and, and all that. So it was, it was very interesting, but it was also like the fact that I, I'm guessing I realized that light can create emotion if it's if it's positioned in the right place and uh, and that definitely started interesting it was very interesting for me and combine that with love for for cameras <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i remember also uh, my father had like a i don't even remember it was like a german vhs camera with like an external recorder and like i, I started playing with that and like like mainly recording like family events and stuff. And then, then I, then I started helping him with the theater and like recording rehearsals and like all these combined kind of guided me into cinematography. And what was the first camera that you started shooting? Like, did you go to school of any kind and, and get a chance to shoot film? Like when did you start touching that? It was, uh, what was really interesting. I, I remember we, like he enrolled me into like an after school program still photography and even even there it was funny because i went there and i told i told them like okay we better get started because i would be a cinematographer so they were laughing and they're like okay let's let's go into the dark room and let's start processing and it was a basic black and white dark room but like for me like going there after school and like having this this passion it was it was amazing and Lately, I put together my own darkroom. They were old Russian steel cameras or like East German steel cameras with really strange lenses. And I actually have a story about that, which is kind of funny. There were, there were those lenses, I remember I hated them. Uh, and <laughs> for the stills. This was for yeah, stills. Yeah, this was for stills. But this was 89, 80, uh, no, yeah, 1989, probably. Yeah, but I remember I hated those, and all I wanted was a was a Nikon lens or any other lens. I was like, I remember as soon as I was like seeing like a, a like a magazine with, with cameras or something, I was just like my eyes were drawn. There. I was like, oh my god, I want a Nikon. I want like, like a good <laughs> camera and a good lens. Cut yeah. to five years ago, and me going back to buying Russian lenses on eBay and asking Panavision to rehouse them. <laughs> oh wow, really? They, yeah, and actually two of those lenses i had they're rehoused by panavision now and they're part of my usual kit of specialty lenses wow so it's funny how things are, are turning around and they <laughs> come back this episode is brought to you by shopify forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to shopify the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's a really brings us to an interesting point, you know, 
you started in a dark room. Well, you actually sounds like you started with video, but you start you were in a dark room, you were processing film, you were using old lenses. Now those kinds of old lenses have become important because <laughs> yeah. of the digital medium, right? That's part exactly. of how you bring character to the image. And so that's kind of like, you know, you shot, I'm just thinking like the harder they fall, you guys shot on the Alexa? Uh no, it was the, the Panavision DXL too. Oh, okay. And how different is something like that from shooting the master, for example, which, you know, with Paul Thomas Anderson, I'm assuming is, is film. Yeah. So you're, you're dealing with a completely different thing, but how do you, you know, when you switch over to the other medium, this, I think is a problem. A lot of cinematographers at all levels have, how do you bring the same character to it? (laughs) It's it's interesting. I mean, I the, the film school in Romania back then was the program was four years, and it was all based on film. So yeah. I already had an, that plus steels. I think it's an interesting it's an interesting combo, and it's funny. It's actually it's not as the jump if you do it quite a few times. It's not as drastic as you would think. It's it's scary at the beginning because you have to look up for different things. But for for now, for example, I just finished a project, a TV show where we shot only film for 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 the last six months. <laughs> so, oh yeah, yeah. So that that would be interesting, and it's I'm I'm still shooting stills quite a lot, and I I do have a lot of cameras, <laughs> still cameras. For example, I mean, I feel embarrassed to say, but like I have like thirty six cameras. <laughs> <laughs> Many, um, mostly stills. What kinds? Mo- no, the, the stills. Mo- all of them stills cameras. This is what what happened when when the digital steel cameras became more and more interesting and, and uh, better. Then all the um, the amazing old film steel cameras became like really like cheaper and cheaper. And it, it was like with with Craigslist and eBay. It was like like a dream come true, like all the cameras I always dreamed of having. Yeah. All of a sudden, they were so cheap. I was like, I, I so have it's more, to do this. For you with and, the stills, you just get to take out these different cameras, use stock, you darkroom yourself? Kind of. It's a hybrid. I mean, I, I do have a, it's a mini lab that can process C41 or black and white and then scan it and use Photoshop or Lightroom. And that's why it's not a, a real darkroom. It's more just a, a tank that can process the, the film that can only develop. And, and then you use your scanner. But it's still, I mean, I, I try to do it as much as, as possible, but it's still... Uh, close to how it used to be. <laughs> and do you uh, ever, does, and does this just pure hobby and, and passion or does it ever cross over into the work on a movie or a show? It does because what I realized is like having all these, all these cameras and all these amazing lenses, not only that, like for me, sometimes it's, it's like either therapy while I'm on location or either <laughs> keeping <laughs> <laughs> the keeping the creative juices going uh, i don't know how to to call it but what i what i end up doing is like having so many skills that i can show directors and it's very easy to say like oh, okay if you want if you want to see how a 1950s lens looks on a roliflex i can show you some examples here or or a mamiya lens from the 90s and it's very easy i found myself it's like it's very interesting to talk about 
visual references and, and all that. But as soon as you show somebody an image, you get a feedback right away. And I think yeah. it's, it's kind of the best feedback you would want from a from a director. And I think the, the goal is to, to be able to to learn right away what they like or and more, most importantly what they hate. So yeah. in that way I, I think I'm, I'm using the, the steels for for experimental. Like so yeah, tell me about this. This just seems this keeps coming to mind because the master is such a gorgeous celluloid piece of art, like <laughs> visually. <laughs> What's it like working with Paul Thomas Anderson? And do you show him the stills and talk? To, is that one where you were like, we're doing period? You know, we're doing format. You know, did you talk about lenses from the era, stuff like that? It was a little bit, but I remember because like Paul is such an interesting character and he knows a lot about lenses and and cameras and everything. But I do remember, for example, like carrying my my contact 645 quite a lot when we were scouting. And it was very interesting because we spoke about uh, a larger negative very early on, but in our mind, the larger negative was just for for some portraits and because the the main character was working in a portrait studio we thought like oh like probably 10 percent we can use this format and then shoot everything in 35 but then i I remember actually taking some some steels on like four by five it was an interesting process but it was more for us to discover if the format and how much we want to use that format and i don't think i don't think the steels did anything in that particular example but i think i think what it did because we were actually watching dailies projected for that oh wow <laughs> for that that's film, which is kind of unbelievable and as soon as we were, were watching a 65 mil shot we right well we all like realized like oh my god we have to use this more often and <laughs> by the end of day three i think we switched and we were shooting probably 90 percent of the movie on 65 and the <laughs> but i think even there it was it was kind of a little bit of the process like for example the crown graphic that freddy that that fucking character is using in the movie that's one of my cameras oh cool i mean we have we had more of them and i know i remember the the props department was really worried that he will damage my camera (laughs) we but also like i remember for example they they worked with him as as well but i I showed him how to how to change the neg because it's such a specific camera that that crown graphic. Yeah. So it's it's like intertwined quite a lot. Yeah, it's I guess it's part of the the story and it's part of what's yeah. happening on screen. So take me like now in something like the harder they fall, it's you know completely different, but also steeped in film history because it's a western, and I know it's like a unique. This is a completely unique perspective in a western. But did you guys, you and James, did you like look through Western cinema and take your cues to some extent? Did you, you know, it has kind of a, I would describe almost like a music video feel in a lot of sequences. Yeah. Colors are are vibrant and alive throughout it, which for these days, I feel like people go desaturated and muted a lot. So that was kind of nice. Like, Tell me about the visual decision making and just the process. It's we 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 spoke about about different movies. I don't think we watched more than three movies together. We didn't really have a lot of time, but we spoke about a lot of westerns we both loved. And and now me being from Romania, it's like the the whole Sergio Leone is more like a 
part of the that European uh, cinematic pride. <laughs> if you think yeah. about it, but but that being said, what what was interesting about Sir Giuliano was like how dusty everything was all of a sudden. Yeah, to a more, but um, and, and I remember James bringing it up and saying, you know, like I want I want a certain color saturation and. I want things to feel sometimes that as if they're like print, like photographs printed on a on a high gloss paper. And he brought a very interesting visual reference. It's the it's an amazing painter called Kadir Nelson. His his color saturation it's truly remarkable. And combining the the idea of printing printing on high gloss paper with Kadir Nelson's images, like all of a sudden like open a new and you think for me and I was I was like trying to figure out also coming from Georgia where we went for color saturation as well like here it was probably that plus 50% more <laughs> like every time we're we're looking for certain colors and and you know, like in, in other references he was like oh yeah it's this plus 30% more it's this red plus 20% wow yeah more. I mean you know, I, and- thinking about the Kadir Nelson and for listeners I think he's had some New Yorker covers if you're yeah, you, yeah. if you go look up it's yeah it pops it's kind of yeah. like a what I'd say almost like a modern Rockwell <laughs> yeah but it's, it's, it's really amazing yeah and that's a funny reference because it has a kind of Americana but I think yeah. I know why he picked it because it's it's a black America, like seen through that lens, you know, that makes sense. And that's so much of what the movie is. Can I want to know more about, you know, the Western. So you talked about Leone, you can see the Leone influence in the script, I think, in terms of how you shoot action and Western influence. What were the three movies you watched together? Uh, What did you talk about? We, we, because I remember telling him, like, I still remember the first time as a kid when I watched the Bunch Cassidy and some skid or, or the Wild Bunch. And like the Wild Bunch came so many times in our discussions. And like, we're, we're like talking about, it's like, oh yeah, I was like, remember how violent that was? Like, let's look at it. Let's, let's see what we can learn. And I, I remember watching that together with James and we were like, yeah, actually it's, uh, it's great. <laughs> Yeah, we should try to figure out how to incorporate it. But it was an ongoing discussion, and it was also the idea that like we have to to create something new. And you always say that with, with your newest project, but I, I do believe we we kind of took our time and and came up with solutions that that not only that they weren't possible 20, 30, 40 years ago, you know, but also also trying to, to figure out an approach that would pay tribute to, to old movies as well and to, to the genre. Now, to be fair, it's like it, it, it's not as complicated because in my mind was that we'll have to go anamorphic no matter what. Like there are there are certain there's a certain framing that you'll you'll find yourself like a cowboy hat and a, a gun belt will force you into a certain framing. No yeah, that's such a good. You know? <laughs> I love that and, comment. And it's also like uh, it, it it helps from in so many perspectives because I remember like going into the first director scout and and seeing how how reflective the ground is in new mexico and and they're like talking about like oh should we do should we do overheads should we go for a software approach and then you realize like you know like again a cowboy head will be your overheads and if yeah. you bounce from the ground you don't need anything else you can shoot right away yeah 
So there are a lot of things that will come to, uh, I mean, it's like the way, like just working with horses and it's, it's, and white vistas and, and all that. It, it, yeah, there's so much, so many exteriors. Yeah. There's two things I was thinking yeah. about in watching it. One was so much is exterior, so much is in that town. The town, I, I assume, was like a standing set you had. Yeah. And yeah. you're outside and you're trying to create a certain look. So, how much really on set each day? We started this conversation, you're talking about creating with light. How much crafting that massive light? Do you have tons of overhead sun? Did you have, were you lucky enough to be overcast sometimes? Like, did you have big bounce cards? Like, what, how did you craft the light outside? Because crafting light in a theater with the lights you place out of darkness is a completely yeah. different thing yeah it was a an interesting combination i mean the the we we realized right away that it's like this is not like the overheads won't help us not only that we wanted to go fairly wide and fairly tight in the same scene and trying to move as as fast as possible so we just took our chances and decided like you know everybody will be wearing a cowboy hat so no overheads we don't need to control that we'll be we'll be there and if it's harsh it's harsh it's it can work. It was a little bit of a, of a challenge trying to, to schedule around where the sun is. Now, if you if you're picky and if you go for the for certain scenes, uh, for certain big scenes outside, uh, you might see the sun jumping from one side to another. But yeah, uh, I think we kind of try to to play around that and be as consistent as, as possible. But with a big scene that with big with the big scenes that, that that we shot over multiple days, it was very hard to, to do that. But we were trying to at least like plan it like either early morning or late evening just so we see all those long shadows and, and take advantage of, of those. Now when we went for the night scenes, we started to be a little more but I don't think it was necessarily theatrical. It was, and I, I always love to to go go back to to like the way the same way on a in a contemporary story. Now you just look at a set with practicals and see what they are doing and try to to see where you need extra light and how to uh-huh. enhance those. The same way we we build it like 150 or like some crazy number of practicals. And essentially, they were like petrol lamps. They were retrofitted with tiny 150-watt tungsten bulbs. Oh, cool. You mean like in the bar, like inside the bars? Like in in the bar, like in in pretty much all the interiors, yeah. 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 And the reason for for still using tungsten, because like we went for 100, 150-watt bulbs just to be able to run those at like 20 or 30 or 40% and get the warmth from them. But also everything was running through a dimmer board that had... A flicker gag to to simulate that uh, that flame. Uh, ah, so you and, had it on a randomized kind of flicker, yeah, so they all were yeah. flickering a little bit to create exactly. that candle. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. And we looked at, at like as I always like to compare it to the real thing. Like when you look at at like real petrol lamps, <laughs> like they're so dimmed. It's, it's yeah. quite unbelievable. But for example, Redwood had so many street lights. There were supposed to be gas lamps, basically, and we retrofitted those as well and ran through. And there were like multiple programs, so uh, so there is a random flicker. It's not like uh, all the lights are flickering in the same 
cannons. <laughs> we're trying yeah, to- now you make me want to rewatch just to look for the flickers. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very subtle, but I think it's I think it helps so much because it's like it's kind of like the real thing. You'll have some movement in the flame, like inside the glass ball. But I think it's I think like our gaffer Jay Camp did an amazing job. Yeah. And those interiors, I mean, you also had such, again, such rich colors. Another fascinating visual aspect of this movie to me is when they go to the white town and like around the third act. And you guys made this choice that it was it was an actual white town. (laughs) And it makes the it makes the visual so stark because suddenly you're seeing like, oh, I've been looking at a world of color and now I'm looking at this world like that has lost color. And there's so much meaning there, but shooting it must have been something of a challenge, right? Because white is tough. Yeah, yeah. But but again, like if you don't shy away from it and embrace it, then there are tools to to deal with that. Especially now, like where I'm I'm working with with this amazing DIT for twelve years, Eli Berg is his name, and like we did so many projects together that it's like he knows I like to take risks, but like he keeps me in, in check all the time. Yeah, and I told him I was like, "We'll be everything. will be white. We'll we'll figure out. I don't want to ask for off white." And you know, like how a lot of times, like when like choosing paint or anything, curtains, like they will be asking you if you want to go off white, and I'm trying to not to cheat and go like and let them choose whatever white they think and just deal with it. And I think it's Yeah, it's one of one of the first things you're taught is don't shoot white walls. Don't shoot in a white I, room. I think it's a mistake because it's like yeah. you'll you'll find like of course you 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 put yourself in a in a corner, but you get more interesting things and just by dealing with that I think I think any restriction kind of opens up a back door to some great <laughs> solutions, you know. And that was the same the same case. We we had to deal with it. But like on, on the other hand, like if you think about it, it's like like the red dress, how how that pops against like bright yeah. white and, yes. and all that. So we went for it and, and with Eli's help, we were right at the peak with the exposure. Like anything more than that would have lose information. But just placing ourselves there, like it was it's the same thing as when you when you have a winter snow scene and like right. from an interior to an, uh, an exterior and just like your eyes hurt in the theater. But it's a good thing. It's it's an interesting point you're making there. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's story. It creates story yeah, just yeah, through the change. Yeah. But I'm sure in certain challenges of lighting it and just keeping it exposed properly, and, yeah, and yeah. also their faces, you know, like trying to, like you mentioned that with the hats and stuff, trying to keep the faces yeah. illuminated enough. Yeah, I hadn't. It's funny you mentioned the hats. I hadn't thought of that. Was it a tough shoot? I mean, just in terms of scheduling and and all the action and all the stuff. Like, was it a challenge to to get it all done? Uh, no, amazingly not. And I mean, it was tough because we were in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> and all of a sudden we have to figure out how to do it and to, to learn how to, to wear all the extra gear and all that. Oh, but, wow. So I didn't know you ca- I didn't know that production happened, like the pandemic came during the production? No, I mean, it did. And then, then the production stopped, but we actually started, uh, we started prep in late June and then started shooting in late August. I see. So it was pretty much in the middle of it, and I, I'm assuming just one of the few productions like starting again and trying to figure out how to do it while keeping everybody safe and testing every day and dealing with this new thing. But on the other hand, 
James, his personality and, and everything, it's like he had he has fun and it's like I kind of I, I like that so much because this is kind of my my theory as well. I think we have the most beautiful job in the world and might as well yeah. having fun while we're doing it. You can tell there's some movies where you can tell people are having fun and, and I thought yeah. this was one. Yeah. It seemed like everybody was kind of in the zone and then enjoying themselves and it makes it fun I to watch. Yeah, I think the whole the whole spirit was like everybody wanted to to make this movie so bad and it was fun and it was like it, it's easy and you get so much more creative when the crew is taken care of and when the schedule is made not just to make days but just to make great days. <laughs> yeah. And when when all the thought is put towards the the quality of the scenes and not the quantity. And that was the approach. And like, it was by far, I think, one of the safest productions I've been on. And uh, wow. it, it was it was quite amazing. And called together, like the first idea and the producers, like uh, there were so many schedule changes because of the whole pandemic situation. And like everybody tried to, to make it in such a way that doesn't affect the crew hours as much and keeps the quality of the of the material as, as high as possible. That's, yeah, that's really cool. Well, we're running out of time, but I, I usually like to end on asking something like this. What would you advise to somebody who's starting out today who wants to become a cinematographer or wants to work in a camera department? It's funny because like we're all so different so it's like i don't know if what worked for me might work for for everybody else but i think still just like shoot as many stills as possible and and watch as many movies yeah it seems like the stills really were a big part of your and continue to be (laughs) well if you have them anywhere let us know so we can see them sure i can direct people to a place where they can see all your stills (laughs) okay okay (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Mihai, for coming on the podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening. Please like, rate, and subscribe. Leave us a comment. I'm doing a new thing now. If you leave a five-star review, I will read it on the podcast, on our weekly show. So go ahead, leave a five-star review on iTunes, and I'll read whatever you write, no matter what. I promise. Please head over to nofilmschool.com and check out what we're doing there. All kinds of stories about filmmaking, filmmaking education, film gear, and tech news. And be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, give us a shout-out, ask us questions at editor at nofilmschool.com. And stay tuned for tons of great interviews like this one with filmmakers, cinematographers, editors, all the craftspeople who make the movies and television shows you watch happen. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.